So, uh, sorry, introduction, uh, I've done that. Uh, informal and formal resolutions is, um, uh, we'll talk about that, role of the grievance officer, the hearing officer, uh, the hearing, the evidence, making a decision, the importance of getting it right, and the question, we have rehearsed this, believe it or not. Okay, so let's go on to the second one. Okay, so what is a grievance? Well, uh, some people think that a grievance is the act of a formal letter coming in with the word grievance uh, emblazoned across the top of it, of course. You and I both know that that's entirely wrong. It can be any concern, problem or complaint made by an employee, and it doesn't have to be uh, a formal essay of, of grievance to, to actually be counted. You can deal with it in an informal or formal matter, and the grievance can be formal or informal. Either way, it's important that we take action promptly to stop things escalating to a, to a more serious level. And just pausing there, I would say one thing, which is, um, as any of you who read my LinkedIn post will know, is uh, my constant annoyance at this social media burden of proof that just because somebody is accused of something, it means that they must be guilty of it. An allegation is proof of nothing other than that somebody has made an allegation. That is it. So if someone puts in a grievance with an allegation against another uh, uh, colleague, you don't rush to believe it, especially if it's a serious um, allegation. In fact, if anything, that increases the obligation on you to do more of a detailed investigation, not not believe it just because it, it, it's very serious. Um, so uh, what we would what you would do on that is um, look at the ACAS code of practice and what is a fair procedure. Well, firstly, a grievance hearing should be held. A reasonable investigation should be carried out in a timely manner. The employee should be allowed to appeal against the outcome. Of course, that's assuming that the grievance is not upheld. I have seen employees bizarrely appeal against a, a grievance outcome when the grievance went entirely their way, which was which was a bizarre, a bizarre letter to to write. But um, usually, most employees will only appeal if the grievance is not upheld. So, what happens if you do not follow the code? Well, an employment tribunal could increase any award made by up to twenty five percent. Clearly, if you win the case and no award is made, well, 25% of nothing is, is nothing. But still, uh, what, you, what you wouldn't want to do is lose and have a 25% uplift. And the claims that an employee uh, might bring, well, they could uh, resign and claim constructive dismissal. And constructive dismissal, if they were to claim that, and of course I know these off the top of my head, but uh, the conversation is at the moment 83,682 or a year salary. Um, whichever is the greater and uh, or lesser, so whichever is the lesser, and for the April 86,444, and then basic is 15,240, and that's going up to 15,700 on the 6th of April. Um, that would assume, of course, the employee's got uh, two years or more service. Uh, the other claims which an employee could bring if they've got under two years service or if they want to stay employed is uh, any claim under the uh, Equality Act, discrimination, harassment, victimisation, or they could bring a whistleblowing claim. And the injury to feelings, the current Vento bans are for the lower, 900 to 8,600, 8,600 uh, to 25,700 middle, and then the upper, 25,700 to 42,900, but it can go above that in exceptional cases. And what's, of course, of relevance to individual people is that in discrimination claims joint and several awards which means you could be, if you're named as a respondent, personally responsible for damages, unless your employer is kind enough to, to pay it for you. 
So informal resolution, well, uh, what does that mean? So it's listening to what employees say, not waiting for a formal letter to come in, being responsive to employees' comments. If something's raised to you that they're unhappy with something, trying to explore that because it is an opportunity to resolve matters in an early stage before it's, it mushrooms into either a, a formal uh, grievance and or an employment tribunal. So it's not necessarily structured. If you meet the employee and, and say, what's the problem? It's not necessarily structured, but you would want to make a note of the discussion so there's an accurate record going forward, especially if you get the employee saying they don't want you to take any further action. Now, there's just a couple of points on that. If the employee has told you, for example, they're being bullied by Bob, uh, for any Bobs out there, I apologize. If they're being bullied by Bob and they tell you what happened and says they don't want you to deal with it, well, my view would be is you, you have to say to them, well, we, we can't follow that instruction. We have to investigate because you've given us a clear allegation of bullying and it's not enough for us to just write it down and, and store it away. And I would say that there's a real risk that if, if Bob is bullying one person, then Bob may be bullying a load of other people as well. So you would need to, establish, you need to investigate this and establish, is the bullying going on? So um, even, even if the employee wants to be dealt with informally, there may be times whenever that's not appropriate. But um, ensure that the employee agrees with the note and signs it of the discussion and ensure the employee agrees to informal resolution where that is appropriate. And as I say, if the allegation is serious, then don't use it. What you might get is a situation where an employee comes in and says, I'm being bullied or um, victimized or discriminated against, but I'm not going to tell you who. Now, unless you can work it out because they say I'm being bullied by the person I share an office with and there's only two of them in the office, um, unless you can work it out, then the most you can say to the employee at that point is, we have an open door policy here to grievances. Uh, we want employees to be happy. We are mindful of uh, employees' right to come to work and not be bullied and harassed. We take mental health of our employees and uh, their well-being incredibly seriously. So because you haven't given me the details and I can't do anything with it at the moment, if you were to uh, decide you want to change your mind, come back and the door is always open. And then you'd make a note that they haven't given you the name and you've explained why you can't proceed with the investigation and they've understood that. So it protects the business that if they then come back and say later on, well, I told HR or my manager all about this and they didn't do anything, you've got a clear note and an agreed record of why you didn't do anything. So um, if it's going to escalate to a formal grievance, what happens next? Well, ask the employee to put the grievance in writing. If that's not already happened, if they just come to you orally with it, then ask them to put it in writing. Once you get it, confirm receipt of the grievance and invite the employee to a hearing and uh, send the employee or refer the employee uh, to the policy or send them a copy of the policy. So the role of the uh, grievance officer is giving the employee the chance to explain their grievance. Consider each point raised by the employee and carry out a reasonable investigation. Um, this may mean you need to speak to witnesses and hold investigatory meetings with them or take statements from them. I've underlined uh, reasonable there because what you're not required to do is to go on a fishing expedition and start interviewing everybody and sending emails out to the entire team or the entire floor or the entire business saying, um, we've had a complaint of bullying about Bob. Has anybody else been bullied by Bob? That'd be great if you could let us know. You're not required to do that. You follow the reasonable path of investigation. So if a name is given to you, for example, by the employee who says, uh, you know, Sheila witnessed Bob bullying me on this date, or Sheila is the victim of bullying by Bob herself, 
well, you might want to um, consider that. But a general, um, a general uh, investigation where you interview everybody would be would be inappropriate. Similarly, if someone is given, if they give you a name to interview, then follow that that path and, and speak to the person that you're asked to to um, interview. So, um, in terms of yes, in terms of taking a statement from them or holding investigative meetings, it's not really matter how you do it. Either get a statement which is signed or have notes of the meeting which you can get signed or confirmed by email. It doesn't really matter as long as uh, you've got you've got agreement from them that, that the contents are right. They may not agree the contents are right, which means you simply make a note of that. You don't have to agree to the proposed amendments. And then what would happen with the grievance officer is they'd make a decision. And if you're going to dismiss the grievance, you explain why. If you're upholding the grievance, a part of it, explain why and what steps you're taking to ensure it does not happen again. Um, grievance hearing, I put here, should take place within 14 days of receipt of the grievance letter, but really you need to refer to your own policies because you might have a tighter time frame than that. 14 days seems to me to be in the outer end of, of reasonableness. If it's going to go beyond that, you need to explain to the employee why, because you wouldn't want them to think that your grievance, their grievance is not being taken seriously. And then they resign on the back of having heard nothing or not having a date when the, the grievance hearing is going to take place. And you've got a constructive dismissal on that basis. Um, and even if they don't go, it create and they don't resign. It just creates the impression you're not taking it seriously and might create a, a distrust in, in you and in management generally. The employee has the right to be accompanied by a trade union rep or a colleague of their choice. That's it. Not their their mate, and certainly not a lawyer. It's not meant to be some kind of quasi judicial hearing. Uh, this one is a good one. Prepare for the hearing. Don't just rock up. We have had cases where people have turned up for the grievance and sat down in front of the person who's raised the grievance and said, right, what's this all about then? And read the grievance in front of them. It's a complete uh, lack of preparation, a complete lack of professionalism, and frankly, a complete lack of respect. All right, there will be people who will lodge grievances who will be doing it vexatiously. I get that. But putting those people aside, anyone who raises a grievance is putting their head above a parapet with their employer. It will typically be something that they've sat on and worried about for a while before they put the grievance up. And we would all like to treat people, I think, like we would like to be treated ourselves. So if someone's taken the trouble to put a grievance in, it's a very personal thing that they've put in. And it's something that they can't resolve themselves and feel that they need your help to resolve. So uh, turning up, having not prepared for it, is is entirely the wrong way to, to go about it. And, and, and put it like this, if you were instructing me in a tribunal and sat beside me when I was cross-examining uh, one of the witnesses for the other side and said, to be honest, I haven't prepared any questions, I'm just going to wing it, you're not going to instruct me again. You'd expect me to do the preparation. And that's the same level of preparation you would need to do for this. Keeping good records, because bluntly, if we get to tribunal and all of this work hasn't been done, we can't magic a win out of the air. We'll only be able to win if actually all the work's been done at this stage by yourselves. So read the grievance, understand the grievance, consider the issues and prepare the questions you want to ask. So you might be looking at the grievance and say, actually, there's four or five specific incidents here. So let's separate those out. The dates they happened, any witnesses that are there that are available on the, on the strength of the letter who, who might be able to help. Um, are there any issues of discrimination arising out of each one? Um, so you break it down so you fully understand what the complaint's about. And then I would say you number each issue within the grievance so that it's clear. You could, issue one is it's this bit, issue two is this bit, issue is this, is this part of the grievance. 
and prepare any questions you want to ask. And as I say, in terms of going to tribunal, you would expect me to prepare questions. So if you're going to do this and you're going to do it properly, then you would prepare the questions you want to ask. And I'm not talking about necessarily aggressive questions, but questions that will let you get to the bottom of the grievance. Why do you know what happened? Why do you feel like this? Uh, who else was there, if anybody? Is there anything else you want to talk about? So that's another point. If they may raise further things in the grievance, hearing that they haven't raised in the letter, and the right response is not to say, uh, no, when it's not in the letter, so we can't consider it. It's, it's to consider the new stuff that's come in as well. So during the hearing, you'd give the employee the opportunity to explain the grievance. I've used the word explore any inconsistencies rather than challenge any inconsistencies because challenge is a bit uh, aggressive when it comes to a grievance, I think. So you simply explore in any inconsistency. So there's something within the grievance that doesn't quite ring true. You're able to challenge that in, a, in the right way, but challenge just feels a bit, a bit of a harsh word. So I'd say explore those inconsistencies and say to the employee, well, you've said this in paragraph one, but then in paragraph two, this, and you just explain how that hangs together. Um, but not, not in a way which makes it look like you've predetermined your, your decision and the outcome. So if new issues are raised, you can ask why they were not raised before. It may well be that the employee hadn't thought about them. It may well be that um, it's, they're just expanding on the grievance. Alternatively, it might be that the new issues that are raised, you think, I, I don't believe that. I can't see why it's being raised now. If it was a serious, it would have been raised either in the grievance letter or if it's an historic complaint, why wasn't it raised last year when it happened, say? So you'd need to, you'd need to explain, uh, explore all of that and get the explanation from the employee. And it's only when you've got all of that where you have the full picture. So once you've done that, you clarify all the issues, um, get the employee's agreement that your understanding of the issues is correct. And then you would ask them what their desired outcome slash resolution is. I've got one at the moment where the desired outcome resolution is to sack the person who is put in the grievance, who is the subject of the grievance complaint. Clearly that's, that's not going to happen. It's not for the employee to say somebody should be sacked. Um, they can say it, but they're not going to get it. It's not their decision. And if that is their only desired outcome, well, then there's a problem because if you don't uphold the grievance and don't sack them, then you've got two people who would seem on the face of it, can't without intervention by the company, work together again. The purpose of asking the question is just to understand where their mind's at in terms of what they want resolved. Because it may well be it's as simple as I want an apology. I want to move to a different office. Um, you know, maybe we should sit around the table and have a discussion. You just want to work out what their desired outcome is to see if it is uh, easily fixable or it's going to be more of a challenge. And once you've got all of that information, then adjourn the hearing. So during the adjournment, consider the evidence and whether you're able to make a decision based on the evidence you've got. If it's a straightforward grievance about, say, non-payment of wages, where you might not need to go away and do anything else other than check the the payroll or, or something like that, or wage slips. Um, or what you might have to do if it's something about personal behaviours is conduct further investigations and hold investigatory meetings with any potential witnesses. And again, take notes of what they've said. So I keep a note of what you've done so you can show that you spoke to X person on Y date and here's what they said. So you can show to the employee that you followed through what they uh, what they alleged, who they said you should speak to, and you've done all of that. And if any witnesses flow on the back of that, so you speak to one witness who says you should speak to so-and-so, well, then give consideration as to whether you should do that based on what's been said. As I said before, there shouldn't be a fishing expedition where you send out this general email, um, but that doesn't mean you don't follow all obvious lines of, 
of questioning or inquiry. So possible outcomes, well, upholding the grievance in its entirety, uh, upholding the grievance in part, or not upholding the grievance at all uh, are, the, are the possibles. Um, and then delivering the outcome. Well, question mark here. Do you reconvene the hearing to confirm your decision face to face? I would say that that depends on, on the circumstances of the case. If the employee is going to have to travel in an hour and a half, to, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll just confirm the decision in writing rather than you have to trek all the way in to get the decision. It might also be in your policy that these decisions are confirmed in writing rather than face to face. So you would make either your policy will drive what you do or the circumstances of the case will drive what you do. If you deliver it face to face, you need to confirm the decision in writing after that and the reasons for it. And I can't emphasize enough the importance of having good notes and the importance of having um, uh, good letters that clearly set out why you've made the decisions you've done. If we're getting to tribunal and you haven't got all of those notes clearly set out, then what you're doing in evidence is trying to explain why you made the decisions you made. And the, the challenge that would rightly be put to you by the other side would be is you're making this up as you go along because you could have this thought process. It would be in the outcome letter. So just pausing there, whenever you're having a grievance hearing, as with a disciplinary hearing, make sure you've got a good note taker who's been briefed, albeit that they've got to be confidential about the content. They've been briefed about the grievance. You know they can take accurate notes quickly. They've been briefed things like, uh, we had one where somebody was asked, are you sorry, seven times before they said yes. And when we got the notes, it just it was just, uh, are you sorry, yes. It was only when we came through asking the witness that he said, actually, the question was asked six times before that. But why wasn't that in the notes? Why didn't you challenge that as a hearing officer? So it's important to have somebody who is making good and accurate notes. You as the hearing officer, check those notes as soon as you can afterwards to check that they're right. Then they go to the employee or the witness um, to check that they think they're right. You can note down any areas of challenge if you don't agree with them. And then the outcome letter should be detailed as well. So it's, it's very clear. So you've got, you've got three audiences, really. The employee, and what you would hope is that the employee might not like your decision, but because they understand it, they're not going to tribunal to get answers, where, where, which is where a lot of cases will end up in tribunal. But say they do a good letter and they're still not happy, they go to a lawyer or a union rep, hopefully the lawyer or union rep will say, look, they've done everything they could here, they've explained all of this. And even if it gets through those two, by the time it gets to a judge, when you're sat in front of a, uh, an employment judge giving evidence, you've got notes in front of you and clear letters in front of you, so you're not scratching around when you're being cross-examined about why you've done something or why you didn't do something. It's all there set out. It just makes life easier for you. Now, the downside, of course, of putting all this work in is you're never going to see the benefit because, hopefully, because, because you've done all this, you will never end up in tribunal, or if you do, you'll win. But if it cuts down your chance of going to tribunal, you'll not see that end result. You will only really understand the, the importance of doing these notes and these letters correctly if you end up in tribunal having not done them correctly. And it's the best learning curve in the world. So I would say to a lot of doing grievances and disciplinaries, Either instruct us to do a disciplinary um, mock tribunal for your um, employment tribunal or, and or get yourself down to a real tribunal for, for a day and, and see what it's like. Everything comes under the microscope. It is, it is like a courtroom, even though it's not a courtroom, it's pretty much done like that. There's witnesses, cross-examination, you take the oath. It's, it's very serious and everything comes under the microscope. And the job of the lawyer for the claimant 
the, the ex-employee or the employee's uh, lawyer is to make you look like an idiot, is to make you look like you didn't prepare properly, that you either had a hidden agenda to get this, um, to, to not investigate this properly, or you were just inept. That is their sole job. So don't make it easier for them by doing rubbish notes and rubbish letters. Okay. Um, and also, again, it's back to the point of treating people like you would want to be treated. If someone's put in a grievance and it's very personal to them, park the vexation stuff, someone's put in a grievance to them, then you owe them a duty of care to explain why you've not upheld their grievance or you've only upheld it in part. And for the vexatious in, uh, complaint, um, well, then you've covered your back when it comes to a tribunal. So uh, confirm the right to appeal. Make recommendations for any required follow-up. So should any employees, including the complainant, be subject to disciplinary action? So if you find that the grievance is vexatious and wasn't made on a good faith basis, and was actually some act of maliciousness, um, and the employee knew, knew that, obviously, it was, it was malicious, then you might think, well, this needs to be referred for disciplinary action because they've lied. And that would be gross misconduct. Now, typically, if, if there's something involving a protected characteristic in a, in a complaint, a lot of companies will shy away from it. They'll be just so pleased to not have upheld the grievance, they won't consider whether any further action will be taken against the employee who's made the complaint. I'm not saying, of course, you do that all the time. Some complaints are entirely legitimate. But consider whether the complaint was legitimate. If it was, if you've not upheld it, fine, we'll move on to the next bit. But if it wasn't, well, you might need to think about whether that complainant has um, put in a, a, a complaint which needs to be subject to disciplinary action. Alternatively, it may well be that as a result of the upholding the appeal, as the grievance in part or in, in total, that disciplinary action needs to be taken against um, other employees, maybe the subject of the complaint or people who witnessed bullying and not done anything about it. Who knows? But you need to consider that rather than just tying up the grievance. It may well be employees didn't understand the standards expected of them and the consequences of deviating from that standard. So there needs to be training either on a team level or a department level or a floor level or an entire company-wide level. So you need to think about that, not only just to prevent future claims going forward, but also to ensure that employees have a safe place to work. This employee isn't going to complain again and that you're running a fair um, workplace. Uh, and maybe conciliation would be required. So if you've got an employee putting in, an employee putting in a complaint about employee B, and you don't uphold the grievance, or you do uphold the grievance, it may be that the way forward is to have them both sit down and clear the air and just talk things through. It may well just be it's a personality clash, or it may well be um, that there's just been a massive misunderstanding, but it's it's festered into something that unless you step in as an employer and rectify and intervene with, it's, it's, it's never going to get any better. So you have to think of all of that. Okay. So the benefits of doing it right well, prompt and decisive action results in uh, respect and trust in management because they can see they put in a grievance and it's dealt with. It's not swept under the carpet. It encourages an open workplace where people know that bullying and uh, harassment, etc., will not be tolerated and management will listen to complaints. Um, but they know it will be fair that they will be investigated fully and not just believed uh, on their own or rejected on their own um, merits. Um, there'll have to be a full investigation that I think that leads to more productive workforce because people are more bought into the business in turn arguably less sickness absence if you've got somebody in a room being bullied and everybody else sees us being bullied well um that can result in not just the person who's who's being ill-treated um going off sick it can result in other people in the room being part of a hostile uh, workplace 
even if it's not within the definition of harassment in the Equality Act, and going off sick, and you can result in uh, people leaving the business, grievances coming in from them. It's, it's just utterly, utterly destructive to not deal with it properly. Less grievances and appeals, um, which are time-consuming to deal with. Less claims to an employment tribunal where there's potential remedies, as I read out earlier on, and no reputational damage uh, to business or the individuals. So the consequences of doing it wrong, but, uh, unhappy employees with little or no trusted management, underperforming employees and poor customer service, other employees picking up bad habits of employees are coming into a business where um, this kind of behavior is unchecked. You, you run the risk that those employees think, well, this is how this team works, and they pick up those bad habits, and you end up having a, a, a department or a team or a, a business where uh, bad habits of one person have, have spread out and infected other people. Rise in sickness absence and employees lodging employment tribunal uh, claims. Now, the reputational damage, I've had a case um, in Manchester where the employee on day one went to the local paper and Hull, sorry, in Hull, and went to the local paper and said, uh, oh, I'm going to wipe the floor with the company. I'm going to show you what a bunch of corrupt so-and-sos they are. It was a big spread in the paper and him grinning at the camera. And on day two, uh, he lost, um, thanks to my magnificent closing submissions and uh, cross-examination. And uh, that day two wasn't covered in the paper. So reputational damage, people reading that article will think, ah, company's terrible, this guy, the little guy's bringing him to tribunal, He's going to show them. And that damage was done even though we won. And also you'll be aware that, that social media these days, um, these kind of things are reported. And the, the papers report cases when they're mid-happening, uh, mid which they're entitled to do. But that means people maybe see the beginning of the case and never hear the judgment and have formulated their own opinion about your company and how you operate without knowing the detail about it, just, just the headline, the, the salacious headline and details that appear in the in the paper. Okay, um, we can answer some questions, but just before we get on to those questions, just let me remind you there is a investigation hearing lunchtime workshop where which goes into this in a lot more detail. I've just rattled through that in half an hour. It's £20 plus VAT per person. We really do that because we find that if we don't charge people, people don't bother turning up where we put a value on it and people pay, then they do tend to come along. What we do is look at it in in-depth analysis and we've got some case studies, some interactive and fun case studies. Uh, well, as much fun as you can have with employment law. So um, there'll be a link to register with this webinar tomorrow. Are there any questions? I'm waiting. What am I doing? Talk on my... Where? What do I do? The Q&A. Uh, would you recommend, uh, is a one from Jenny, would you recommend hearing a grievance that has been raised by an ex-employee uh, post-leaving? Uh, no, uh, bluntly. I would, well, two, two, two provisors to that. Um, the guidance in it is unclear as to whether you should or shouldn't, but I would say that the definition of raising a grievance is to resolve the workplace relationship. If the employee is already gone, what's the point? But it would give you a chance potentially to head off an employment tribunal if you're going to deal with it properly. And at the very least, it would give you a chance to uh, understand what the claim you're going to face is. So that's the, that's the only basis I would do that on. Um, anonymous attendees should notes be verbatim. No, I think those are very difficult to understand. 
that's the equivalent of tape recording meetings. And anyone who's listened to a tape recording back, assuming the tape recording works properly, and I've had a case where there was only one microphone in the room, so the questions were very clear, but the answers were, <laughs> which made them totally pointless, um, is it wouldn't really flow. So what you want is somebody who's going to get the, the questions and answers and leave out all the ums as uh, and shuffling around of papers. Uh, and then you would get a chance. What you want to do is pick up the main thrust of it. Um, okay, let me just see if I can find any more. Uh, I'll just do one more. Um, uh, hi, Simon. Uh, what should we do if an employee makes a complaint but wants to remain anonymous? What do you tell who the you do tell the employee who the complaint is about? Thank, uh, well. Um, that's a tricky one. It's why do they want to remain anonymous? If they want to remain anonymous um, because they're they're in fear, well, then you'd have to explore whether that's realistic and uh, whether or not you want to do that. The, the person who's being accused has a right to know the allegation against them. So you'd have to explore whether it would be fair to for the employee to remain anonymous. If there's issues about safety, then probably yes. But what you could say to the employee is, who, who the complaint is about, is, is there any reason you think somebody would uh, make a vexatious complaint against you, something like that. So it's very uh, fact sensitive, but in broad terms, it can happen as long as there's a good reason for it, but it should certainly not be the norm. Thanks all for tuning in. I hope that was useful. Sorry I rushed through it all, but it's a lot to get through in half an hour. Um, right, thank you very much.